Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630KHOW, Denver's talk station. I I can't. I can't. Whenever I hear Senator Bennett speaking on the Senate floor, especially when he gets passionate, like I cease to hear whatever it is he's talking about. And I just hear Counselor Mackey. Drugs are bad. Okay. I can't do that. Okay. Drugs are bad. Okay. I mean, I I can't. I can't. 630K out Denver's talk station. I am Leland Conway. Text the show directly 57739. Text Leland to 57739. We're going to bat a little cleanup on some of the texts from yesterday talking about the homeless system or the homeless situation. Um, But, you know, I don't think anything we talk about today. uh, We've got James Rosen on the program today, uh, author of a really cool book about Scalia. uh, But we're also going to talk to him about some of this crazy stuff that's going on with the press, big tech, and the government colluding to silence you. I have some audio on that. Um, and then, of course, uh, we have at least we'll call it passage of the first step uh, across the first barrier of a terrible, terrible anti-gun gun grabber bill here in Colorado. So we'll talk about all that stuff today. But um, none of it's probably going to matter, be large. None of it's going to matter. You know why? Do you know why none of this is going to matter? Nothing we say today is going to matter. Nothing we do today is going to matter. We might as well go ahead and just party like it's, well, 1999 happened a long time ago. But you know what I'm saying? Um, apparently, according to scientists, an asteroid could, in air quotes, could strike the Earth in 23 years. On Valentine's Day, which I think is the perfect day for the end of the world. I really do. I think it's just like, boom. Scientists are warning that a 160-foot asteroid, basically the size of the Leaning Tower of Pizza, 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 could slam into the Earth 20 years from now, 23 years from now on Valentine's Day. That's, uh, tw- is that 2046? 2046. Assuming we haven't destroyed ourselves by then, European Space Agency says the asteroid named 2023DW. That is a very boring name. Like, if it's an asteroid that's going to be the end of the world, could we come up with, like, the, uh, could we come up with, like, the Devil Bomb or Devil Rock or Beelzebub, the asteroid Beelzebub or Lucifer or Demon Rock? I mean, like, isn't there something, the Bone Crusher? Like, could we come up with a better name than 2023DW? Um, maybe, no, maybe that stands for death rock, but spelled with a W R O K or R O C K W R O C K. Can you do that? Like wreck rock. Anyway, it has a one in 625 chance, which is a pretty damn good chance actually of hitting the earth on February 14th, 2046. The, um, giant space rock is number one on the agency's risk list of flying objects that could hit the earth. NASA has also been tracking the asteroid and says that it has a very small chance of impacting the earth. And they say, if it does, 
end up impacting the earth, that it is going to hit somewhere between the Pacific uh, a West Coast to the Pacific uh, uh, in the Pacific, or it's going to hit somewhere between the West Coast and the East Coast of the United States. That's pretty good, right? Like somewhere between the West Coast and the East Coast. So somewhere between L.A. and D.C., that's where the rock's going to hit. Guess where we are? Right in the freaking middle. Did you ever hear about that? Um, I think it was 1916. There was a, it was a airburst or whatever, but it was... Um, it happened over Siberia, like a weird, unpopulated area of Russia, and it was in 1916. And it was, it was a basically they're saying it was an asteroid, and it got almost to the surface of the Earth and then exploded, which is something that the, an asteroid that size would do. And it it created like it was like a nuclear bomb going off in Siberia. And there, to this day, there's like trees flattened for thousands of square miles. It's wild. They say it's that size. So it would take out, like, if it hit Denver, Denver would be gone. Like, it would just be gone. There'd be no more Denver if it hit Denver. So, like I said, none, nothing we talk about today is going to matter because, you know, we're going to get hit by an asteroid. So. Do you think by then... Th so there was an interesting thing on Twitter. I I'm just going to go ahead and talk about this. Um, I, I retweeted it, and there, there was a little bit of a discussion and an argument over this. Eric Weinstein posted, the world you see everywhere around you could never have been built by the people you see now living within it. Now, he's commenting on wokeness and equity. And I, I retweeted, I said, damn, this is profound. We've committed societal suicide. We're just not dead yet. Do you think we could, between now and 2046, come up with like an Armageddon project? Like the movie? Um, Armageddon? Where, where we have this innovation and this amazing inventive spirit again and we go up and we bury a nuclear missile in the rock and it blows up and it destroys it and turns it off the trajectory from the earth but back to this tweet it's like i, I don't think so because we're selecting scientists and everything else we're selecting it based on these weird like does it fit in this identity politics um silo as opposed to, is this person the best person for the job? We have an entire generation of kids who have never had to do anything hard. Like, their idea of hard is um, they're having a long shift at Starbucks and somebody didn't give them a tip on a cup of coffee that they made for them. So they're just doing TikTok videos while they suck their thumb in the corner and they complain about their job not getting paid enough. Like, that's a hard day for them. It's hard for me to believe that that generation could reinvent the world that we're living in right now i don't know do you think do you think that's a wrong statement do you think it's an unfair statement the world you see everywhere around you today could never have been built by the people you see now living and benefiting from it do you think that's a fair statement based on what this generation is like and this is obviously a generalization but when we see like woke seeping into corporations and seeping into every aspect of our life and all the bureaucracies to the point that nothing, like we, I don't know if you've ever read the book Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It's a long book. But it's kind of a libertarian Bible, if you will. And even if you don't agree with everything in it, you should read it. But what's scary about that book is that the world that it's set in is the world we're in now. And pretty soon, we're going we're gonna to start to see other parts of our institutions break down. Like, they're breaking down as we speak. 
tell me the last thing the government did for you that it was a good job. Like, I, I it blows my mind that people are clamoring for government to take over their health care because I'm like, when's the last time you walked away from some sort of government service and went, damn, I want to go back there and put more of my money in that. Right, like if you go to a really good restaurant, you have a really good experience, you have a great person that waits on your table and they provide you with an amazing experience, you get a great dinner and it just, you, you walk out and it just feels like it was worth the money, right? When's the last time you felt like that walking away from a government interaction of any type? When? Why are people clamoring to have the government manage more of their lives? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, I thought that was profound. I posted it. What was uh, one of the responses to it was kind of interesting. The idea that millennials can't rebuild the society the boomers built is laughable. Um, Eric here just wants to know, uh, just doesn't know too many bright young people. No surprise he's been in school forever. I'm not saying that there aren't bright people out there. I'm saying the way our current society is structured, where everything has to be determined not by your skill or your merit or your your pure unabashed ability and talent and innovation and drive and ambition, instead of being judged by that, it's judged by, well, what color skin do you have? Or what's your sexual orientation? Or what's your pronouns? Like, that's how they're judging who should get selected for what, instead of saying, who's the best scientist in here? Who's the best innovator and inventor in here? Who's the best business person in here? Um... Frandy wants us to know that the actual geographic center of the U.S. is in Kansas City area. What did I do? Okay. Did I specifically, Kel-Kel, did I specifically cite the specific middle, or was I just generally stating that we're kind of in the middle between Los Angeles and D.C., the West Coast and the East Coast? Correct. Thank you. I'm just saying. Oh, I love it. I love it. Give it to me. 57739. Do it. Go ahead. Let me have it. 5108 um, saying, actually, the geographic center of the U.S. is Kansas City. Okay, we got two people out there that are nerds on geography. Good. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Um, All right, let me tell you this update on the gun stuff because it infuriates me. And I'm not going to shut up about it. Even after they pass these bills, I'm not going to shut up about it. Here's my theory, okay? I'll just tell you. I believe the assault weapons bill is not going to pass. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying definitively, right? My sources tell me that it has a chance of passing, but it's a small chance. But my theory has always been that the assault weapons ban was the shiny thing. If they could get it passed, you know, if there wasn't like a huge reaction to it, they would do it. But it's designed to distract gun owners and gun advocates like myself who are adamantly against an assault weapons ban while they do other things that are incredibly egregious to your gun rights. And those other three things are raising the uh, age to buy a weapon, um, making it easier to sue gun manufacturers for criminals actions, expanding the red flag laws, and then this one, the three-day waiting period. Initially, they wanted a 10-day waiting period, but now they want a three-day waiting period for you to purchase a gun after you've passed a background check. This is ludicrous. From beginning to end, this is utterly, utterly ludicrous. Denver 7 reports. First of four major bills, Colorado legislature this session faced its first committee test on Monday and passed. The bill's first House committee 
there was back and forth between supporters, opponents of the legislation over evidence supporting the effectiveness of the waiting period. The bill cites a 2017 study that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences and its justification for the legislation. So I actually, um, I looked this up. The study is predicated on 45 years of data from the 70s through 2014. But the most interesting thing about this study that undermines it as a credible piece of evidence that we should put in place a waiting period is a number, basically it, it, it studies the number during that 45-year period, a big chunk of that time where more states had an imposed waiting period up to 44 at one point was between 1994 in 1998. So it appears that even though they studied 45 years of data, they really were just looking at four years of data. Now, why are they looking at that four years between 1994 and, two, uh, and 1998? Because that four years was when the Brady Act was in play. The Brady Act basically instituted a mandatory, I think it was a five-day waiting period, for firearm purchases for any state that at the time didn't already have some sort of background check. Now, why does this skew the data in this study? This is actually a super important point. It's super salient, like super serial. It's super salient. Man, bear pig. It's very important to this discussion because during that four years, you had the vast majority of those wait periods and they were specifically put in place so that the creation of the national database could be put in place so that there could be a national background check. So in other words, during the data period, the, many of the states that were being studied didn't have a background check process. And so they put the waiting period in there as a holdover until the background check process was built out or until those states put it in place. Now, why is that significant? Because we know the statistics on law-abiding gun owners, which means people that have passed a background check to purchase a gun. We know the crime statistics on people who have passed that background check. And it is a almost statistically insignificant number of people who are law-abiding gun owners who also commit crimes of any type, not just violent crime, but stealing a nickel out of the have a penny pick it up bucket. Like they won't even do that 99.99% of the time. So now that background checks are in place and near universal with the exception of certain small carve outs and no, you can't legally go to a gun show and buy a gun without a background check. Not legally. There's a law for that. So any purchase of a firearm that's legal is background checked unless it's within an immediate family or something or sold to a friend. And again, there's a law for that. If you know the friend's going to commit a crime with it, if you're doing a straw purchase, that's a felony. So any purchase of a firearm that's legal has a background check associated with it. So that's why our data is so strong on how few people who own guns actually commit crimes. But in that four-year period that is part of this study's data, you were at that time going into that and all of the years before that. 
able to buy a gun in some cases and in some states without having a background check, which means at that point, there would have been a higher incidence of criminality where a criminal might go and buy a gun and get away with it a lot easier because our system hadn't been flushed out yet. Now, interestingly, we should also point out that prior to all of this, there were very few mass shootings, despite the fact that it could be said that it was much easier to get your hands on a gun at that time. But back to the point of the data and why that matters. It's impossible because you're comparing apples to oranges. Amongst the law-abiding community that actually does pass the background check, there's almost zero, statistically, crime committed of any type, not just violent. You see what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter that this study, this study doesn't matter. This study is, is moot to this. It's, 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 it's irrelevant. It's looking at numbers, but they don't have any connection to actual crime today. The four-year period between 94 and 98, that waiting period was not put in place because they wanted law-abiding citizens to wait for guns. It was put in place to prevent non-law-abiding citizens from getting quick access to guns. So it's a completely different group. And the data from that is skewed in such a way that it's not pertinent to this discussion. That's point number one. Point number two is that this is your constitutional God-given right. And if you pass the background check, you're done. If you pass it, the, the two are not the same, but I, I love to hear my lefty friends compare driving and gun ownership. And the two are not the same. Again, you don't have a right to drive. You have a privilege to drive. You have the right to own a car. You can go buy a car without any government hassle whatsoever. You just you got to have insurance, that's all. You get the insurance buy the car, pay the price, you're good. There's no background check to purchase that vehicle. So you can own a car without a background check. So the two are apples to oranges. But if you want to put the two next to each other, you pass the driving test, you get to drive. You pass the background check, you get the gun. There's no other reason, unless what you're trying to do is harass and punish law-abiding citizens. And that is what all of these bills are about. None of these bills will prevent crime. None of these bills will address the crime issue in the state of Colorado. All of these bills will make it easier to legally harass gun owners who are law-abiding. That's what this is about. All right, coming up next, there's some terrifying stuff going on on Capitol Hill that the mainstream media is completely uninterested in because they're complicit in it. And it has to do with censorship. That's next. I'm Leland Conway, 630 How. Denver's talk station. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to more Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630 How, Denver's talk station. I got a... Uh, 
seriously scary piece penned by Matt Taibbi on the Twitter files. We'll get to that in just a second. Text the show directly, 57739. Text 57739. Yes, I, I have a crass mind, okay? I Look, I don't... When I heard the reports that Senator Mitch McConnell was in the hospital because he fell at the hotel, my first initial thought was assault turtle down. I'm sorry. It wasn't nice. It's way too soon. I... I wish him well. I wish him recovery. But that was the first thought that popped into my head. <laughs> Why do I call him an assault turtle? Because, man, the guy is probably the most prolific and skilled politician of our lifetime. What? Do you think he has a life alert? <laughs> like, do you think he was like, I've fallen and I can't get up? Surely, surely he has... He has... Secret service around him at all times. That's his life more alert. So it went like this. Uh, <laughs> I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly. <clears throat> he would he would clear his throat in the middle of that. Um, <clears throat> no, I. <laughs> you know what's really cool? One of the coolest experiences in my radio career. I, I actually like the guy as a person. I I sometimes agree with him politically. I sometimes disagree with him. He's sometimes a hindrance to conservative uh, forward movement. He's sometimes uh, a a boon for it. He is the most po- uh, brilliant political tactician of my lifetime. I'm sure he'll be fine. I pray that he's fine. I really do. I just was sharing my crass mind with you because I can't do anything but just be me. So there it is. I, I would tell Senator Mitch McConnell and my friends who work in his office that that's what I said when I heard it. And they would probably laugh. I mean, he, after all, did embrace the whole cocaine Mitch thing. So, um, but... What was I going to say? He's he's probably the most brilliant political tactician in our lifetime. But one of the coolest experiences I had in my career was I was actually in D.C. for another event. And he invited me over to interview him. At the time, he was Senate Majority Leader. And he invited me to come over to his Senate President office and like actually interview him in there. Not a lot of people get to go into that office. And not just the office. I mean, not. I mean, into the inner office. And I got pictures, and I sat with him and interviewed him for about 20 minutes. And he was on message, as he always is. But it was just really cool to be sitting in that office because whoever's the Senate president gets that office. And they have a separate office in one of the Senate office buildings, but that's the one that's closest. There's the Speaker of the House's office, and then there's that one, and they're the ones that are closest to their respective bodies in the Capitol. And it was just really cool. So anyway, well wishes uh, to uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, a.k.a. Cocaine Mitch, a.k.a. the Assault Turtle. Okay. Told you guys I would do it. I told you. Kel Kel and B-Large Dairy. You guys are like, you won't do it. You won't say it. I said it. Matt Taibbi. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. Hold on. I'll get to that in a second. I got to do these. I got to do these uh, texts. Um, Okay. Here's another geographical nerd. Leland, Denver is actually more centered than Kansas City because you said East Coast, Washington, D.C., and West Coast. I use San Francisco. You didn't say Los Angeles and Maine. Colby, Kansas is close to the center of D.C. and San Francisco. So looking at the facts, you were more correct. Thank you. That's a geographical nerd I like. Okay, Kel Kel, make sure B.A. here gets invited to the Christmas party this year. You got it. Okay, thanks. Put them on the list. B.A., that's who, that's who texted that. They're going to the Christmas party this year. Who's trying to use my initials? <laughs> um, this is interesting. I asked a question earlier 
do you think this generation could build the world we're living in now and all benefiting from? If they, it was all torn down tomorrow by an asteroid hitting and we had to rebuild society, could this generation do it? And Jim writes in, he said, just look at the difference between how long it took to build the Empire State Building and how long it took to build the thing replacing the towers in, D- in New York City. So I looked it up. Any guesses, guys, how long it took to take to build the Empire State Building? Any guesses? Kel-Kel, B-Large, how long do you think it took to build that project? The, uh, the, the Empire State Building. Oh, no, Empire the Empire State, State building. building? Yeah. Four years. Okay. B-Large? Two and a half. One year, 45, day, uh, 45 days. So just a little over 13 months. Yeah, that's not happening today. Now, any guesses how long it took to replace the World Trade Center? Two years. Okay. That Yeah, I think that's about right. Two, two, two and a half years, something like that. World Trade Center was rebuilt 11 years for the actual construction portion into end of the project, 13 years. So as many months as it took to build the world or the uh, Empire State Building, it took that many years to rebuild the World Trade Center this many years later. Because it's probably most of it was probably tied up in bureaucratic permitting. That's why well, we can't I was save say, ourselves. I wonder how much like structural, like just the the structure of the Empire State Building versus the other things. Like oh sure, there's how, more structure there. Right, yeah, like I was sure. just saying, but like at the same time, it's just like you but know, how the, they were building things back then. Correct. Versus, you know how right. they were building the other. And things. also look at the engineering feat of the Empire State Building in its time, being able to build it in a year and forty five days versus. At this point, the Burj Khalifa was already standing for many years, which is the world's tallest building, at least was. And and the World Trade Center took, I don't know how long the Burj Khalifa took, but, I mean, it took forever to build the World Trade Center's back. And the point I'm making is between bureaucracy, wokeism, and infighting, uh, and, and weakness, just overall general weakness, it's not that we're not smart. I don't think we could rebuild what we have right now. I really don't. Speaking of the asteroid strike... Um, 5833 says Leland has a nice consolation in 23 years, the green new deal will be fully implemented and then will be destroyed by a Trump MAGA sponsored asteroid. I will be laughing my butt off when that happens. <laughs> um, let's see. I think there was, uh, that's it. All right. There's a bunch of other, um, geographic nerds trying to hit me up there. All right. Matt Taibbi wrote this. Actually, first I want to play a couple sound bites. Um, uh, Michael Schellenberger. Um, he talks about the terrifying path that we're on in, um, congressional hearings today, the terrifying path that we're on towards government censorship. You've seen this censorship industry go from, well, we're just fighting ISIS to, well, we're just fighting Russian disinformation bots to, well, now we need to fight domestic misinformation, which is just saying we need to fight against people who are saying things we disagree with online. That's all that means. And I, I mean, See, that's a really good point here. Let's talk about the First Amendment for a second. One of the reasons why there isn't supposed to be a federal police force, one of the reasons why the CIA is supposed to keep its nose out of Americans' business, one of the reasons why we have the First Amendment is to make sure that the government isn't the arbitrator of what is and what isn't misinformation. Guys, I can't put into words how big of a story this is. The Twitter files. I can't put into, okay, we, I'm serious. I, I, I despise unnecessary hyperbole, okay? I try to be real. I try to be authentic. I can sometimes play over the top, but I think you typically know when I'm playing. I ain't playing on this. This is one of the biggest, I'll say this. 
not since the Civil War have we had an incident or a situation in which our our very foundational system was at this much threat. And it doesn't have a damn thing to do with Trump. And it doesn't have a damn thing to do with January 6th, other than that they're part of what tangentially drives the hatred that drives the Machiavellian excusism that drives these people to say it's okay for them to violate our freedoms. But these violations and this this weird um, melding, if you will, and terrifying melding of private sector companies with the government is... It, I, I can't put into words strongly enough, at least that the FCC will let me say, ironically, how big of a threat this is. And I, again, this is why I say I hate overstated unnecessary hypocrisy because then when you really need to say these things, it doesn't ring true, right? It's like if you make accusations of racism anywhere and everywhere when you actually want to confront real honest-to-God racism, which still does exist in some corners of society, fortunately it's in the corners but when you really want to confront it, it's so watered down by, oh, that garage pool at the NASCAR race was a noose. Bullcrap, right? So it becomes, it deadens it when you actually do have to say, hey, the wolf is at the door. So I'm not saying this lightly. This is the biggest threat to our republic since the Civil War. Because once this happens, and this is what the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists were fighting about in the very birth of our nation, when coincidentally the Second Amendment was being um, ratified, um, they were fighting over if we give centralized power to the government, it'll eventually get the tools, and when it gets those tools to keep us safe, it will turn those tools against us, because that's inevitably what governmental systems do. So this whole point that, that's being made here by Schellenberger is the government misinformation, it doesn't matter if it's misinformation. You have a right to discuss your opinions, your thoughts, and even to engage in hyperbole if you want to under the First Amendment for very specific and important reasons. It's not a slippery slope. It's an immediate leap into a, a terrifying mechanism that I, we only see in totalitarian societies of attempting to gain control over what the social media platforms are allow are allowing. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's just it starts at DHS, but we basically see um, almost every government agency involved in this. You've seen this censorship industry go from well, we're just fighting ISIS to well, we're just fighting Russian disinformation bots. To, well, now we need to fight domestic misinformation. So, I mean, you get the point. So now I have this piece from Matt Taibbi. And it's not just DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, which, by the way, again, I'm going to tell you, this is the Department of Homeland Security and the Patriot Act are the reason I left the Republican Party. Because I knew in that moment, I said, this, this is not going to win. This is not going to end well. Once the government has the tools to do what they were ostensibly doing just to terrorists at the time, they will find a way to designate all of us potential terrorists to justify turning those tools against us. Matt Taibbi writes, We learned Twitter, Facebook, Google, and other companies developed a formal system for taking in moderation requests 
from every corner of the government. The FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, Department of Defense, the Global Engagement Center at State Department, even the CIA. For every government agency scanning Twitter, there were perhaps 20 quasi-private entities doing the same, including Stanford's Election Integrity Project, NewsGuard, the Global Disinformation Network, and others, many taxpayer-funded. A focus of this fast-growing network is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations, or sympathies are deemed, quote, misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. The latter term, malinformation, is just a euphemism of true but inconvenient. Undeniably, the making of such lists is a form of digital McCarthyism. There's more of this. I'll read it on when we continue. This is terrifying because this is coming from a left-wing journalist who holds true to the principles of personal liberty and keeping the government in check. That's next. 630K How, Denver's Talk Station. All right, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, budget proposal from President Biden McFussy Pants next hour. Um, but I got the rest of this this piece by Matt Taibbi I want to read to you. So I'll just pick up with, undeniably, the making of such lists is a form of digital McCarthyism. Actually, I'm going to pick it back up here. It's in Rasmussen Reports. The focus of this fast-growing network is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations, and sympathies are deemed misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. The latter term is just a euphemism for true but inconvenient. Undeniably, the making of such lists is a form of digital McCarthyism. Ordinary Americans are not just being reported to Twitter for deamplification or deplatforming, but to forums and firms like PayPal, digital advertisers like Xander, and crowdfunding sites like GoFundMe. These companies can do re, can and do refuse service to law-abiding people and businesses whose only crime is falling afoul of a distant, faceless, unaccountable, algorithmic judge. As someone who grew up in a traditional ACLU liberal, now this is Matt Taibbi talking, as someone who grew up a traditional ACLU liberal, this mechanism for punishment without due process is horrifying. Another troubling aspect is the role of the press, which should be the people's last line of defense. But instead of investigating these groups, journalists partnered with them. If Twitter declined to remove an account right away, government agencies and NGOs would call reporters for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other outlets who in turn would call Twitter demanding to know why action had not been taken. Effectively, news media became an arm of a state-sponsored thought policing system. Became and has become. Because it is still happening. I'm pausing for dramatic effect. I mean, I'm just saying, guys. <laughs> hello? It's here. The Orwellian world is it's like, yeah, you're like, well, it doesn't really affect me. Just wait. Because they're coming for you. I mean, how? I'll go back to me being thrown into Facebook jail for saying all I said was if you want to avoid or mitigate the negative effects of COVID 19, eat a solid diet based on whole foods, get outside, get sunlight, take vitamin D, and exercise. Not only has that been proven to be correct, 
But even at the time, early in the pandemic, my own doctor told me that. And I posted it on Facebook because it was helpful to other people. And they put me in jail for one day for, quote, unquote, misinformation for a fact that was known to be true at the time but would potentially make people feel less afraid of the virus because they had a solution other than the government. It doesn't matter who you are, what you think, where you come from, they are coming for you. And this is terrifying. It's just a matter of time. And if those of us clinging the pots and pans now are out of the way, what are you going to do? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.